0: Uh, So we're starting this new series, and there's a premise for it. The preaching team get together regularly, and we pray through, listen listen to the Lord, and I keep cutting out, don't I, for a... Preaching team meeting, working through what we're going to do in our new series, and we do listen to the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want us to do? And the background to this is the sense of ongoing overwhelm that many of us are facing, and oh, four microphones. Um... And one of the things we realize is the sense of ongoing overwhelm that many of you have and many of your friends have as we come out of COVID. And this is the worst time. And it's not going to be over for some considerable period of time. Um, This is what happens at moments like this in history. History. And we felt the Lord speak to us and say that the series to bring were people in the New Testament. There were many of them who were very overwhelmed by what was going on in their lives. Roman occupation being one of them and persecution. And yet people who were utterly overwhelmed would encounter Jesus. And then they would be so overwhelmed by Jesus that he overwhelmed their overwhelm. Make sense? And you see people... Nothing has I mean, sometimes they're healed, that's pretty dramatic, but other times just in meeting Jesus, the whole of their lives turned around. And that's why we're using the word pivot. Um, a pivot point and lever. Take some of you back to school if you remember you're uh, doing that at, at school. It, it's a central point around which things can turn. So it's the science of a lever and a fulcrum. But the the thing that can happen is with a pivot, the force in one direction can be immediately turned in a different direction and transferred. Um, Some of you who are young enough to remember being able to run and pivot, (laughs) some people at parents' days, Parents' days are just a wonderful thing to go to, to watch the middle-aged dads who run, sprint, and then try and pivot and realise that their bodies can't do what they used to do. And all the force goes through their knees in ways that it shouldn't. But when you're younger, you can pivot. Some of you, if you watch it in sports, you watch it football players, are adept at it, they run one direction and then woof, they pivot. They literally, every force goes through the ball of their foot and they spin, dancers do it, pivot, a hinge on a door is a pivot point, the little force that you make, and it turns, you can turn and pivot. And pivoting is one way to understand, I'm really sorry guys at the back for this introduction, I know you've got all the Bible verses for uh, the main talk today, but I think you might be missing a couple of them. But Jesus in Mark one, at the beginning of his ministry, says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, Repent. And some of you will know that repent means to turn around and go the other way. One of the ways to understand this, Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Pivot. Every force, Roman occupation, persecution, 400 years of not hearing from God, troubles, everything that you face. The kingdom of God is at hand. All those forces that you feel of overwhelm. The kingdom of God is at hand and let God pivot and take all those forces and move them the other way towards God towards the kingdom pivot repentance is to pivot Acts 2 the early church Peter stands up and he and thousands of people gather the Holy Spirit is poured out I mean, there's, there's all the pivoting. If you've got to the end of the John series with us, you see the disciples. Jesus has risen and they're moping around like, "Ah, uh, we don't know what to do. And then the Holy Spirit turns up and suddenly in an instant, there is this pivot into the kingdom that Jesus has declared. Jesus said at the end of John, the kingdom is better that I go because something amazing is happening. And the kingdom opens and people say, what should we do? And Peter says, repent, pivot. Take all of this and turn back to God. So are the forces of COVID and life, if I could bring you up here one by one, but we haven't got time, where have they got you to? What are they doing to you? Are they pushing against you? Are you tired? Are you exhausted? Are you overwhelmed? Have you ended up in a place that you couldn't have imagined from two years ago? Some of your friends may be in a place. You're thinking, how did they end up there? Because Jesus' word 2,000 years ago is as true today when we come into this series. The kingdom of God is at hand over us. And we're going to see in this wonderful series encounter after encounter after encounter of people that meet Jesus and this pivot takes place in their lives and the kingdom of God turns everything in their lives that is against them and it mobilizes them and moves them towards the kingdom of God. Paul writes in Colossians 1 verse 29, to this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Do you remember that verse? Can you imagine a Christian life where you're struggling, not with the overwhelm of life, but God's power at work in you? Yeah? I'm going to start picking on people. James, is it, was there ever a morning you woke up and Jan said to you, how are you doing? I just, I'm just i struggling with God's energy. Got me out of bed this morning. Yeah? Every morning, every week. But there is an experience that is available to us. To be overwhelmed and Pushed through life by God and his son and his spirit. By the way, in that passage, I shouldn't be doing this. I'll get in trouble for going over time, won't I? Um, No, I'm going to do this. Because (laughs) the word that, this pivot thing, I've been thinking it through. And I I hope you take this metaphor away. Um, You know the story of Paul. He was a Pharisee and he persecuted the church. And he put Christians to death, killed them. Well, the, there, is this, in this, there is a word in the Greek here, and it, Paul also uses it. Um, the word for persecuting, to beat into submission and to kill, there's a Greek word. Paul takes that very word and he uses it to describe his new life in Christ. I, he, Paul says, I beat my body into submission. I take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And in this passage here, I struggle with God's mighty power at work in me. There's been this pivot in Paul's life. This destructive force where he killed people is now, that force has been turned around and that force is at work in a kingdom way in his life to connect to God and the purposes of God in his life. Paul experienced that himself in his encounter with Jesus. And I really do believe as we go into this series that we keep saying that there is a moment in history for focus and invitation for all we are in Christ. And if you want that, be here. Listen to these encounters. Discover your own encounters. That's the big thing of this. Jesus is alive. He's risen. So that you can have your encounters with him. Ministry time. Why, why, if you're able to, we're going to keep saying, be here and not online. I know some of you have to self, if you're online and watching us, love you, welcome. If you're self-isolating, bless you. But if you have the choice, take that energy that would keep you on your bed And bring it here, pivot. One of the reasons we lay hands on one another here is think of pivot. You take the energy of God's work in other people and they lay hands on you. Some of you have had the experience. You're like, you're one way, you're prayed for. It's like, what happens when people touch you? A bit of heat from last week, that was my talk. But also the momentum of God in their lives moves you along. That's how we turn. And by the way, I realised this is like a trilogy today, because I spoke. I'm speaking today. I spoke last Sunday, when I wasn't due to, and I spoke the Sunday before. Three in a row. Sorry about that. <laughs> but I said, But I really do. I've looked at those. The, what I've shared the last two weeks and today, and I've, I've been thrilled to share it, and it's been wonderful to see what the Lord has has been doing but if you're in a place of overwhelm and you go into this series if you find today helpful go and listen to last week and the week before because they do build on one another so that's on you, series what I'd like you to do now is turn around to someone near you and say what you're looking forward to after that might be nothing ready steady go okay Let's start back. I'll pray for us. So, Lord, as we begin this series, be with us. Open your word to us. Holy Spirit, come. Lord Jesus, as we begin with the story of someone who encountered you, may we encounter you. Amen. If you've got a Bible, turn to Mark 14. And uh, I think all the verses will be up on the screen above me. I hope so, because my printout of them is at home, Mark 14, so, and we're reading from verses 1 to 11, sorry about this, right. (laughs) Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said. All these people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard, and she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So, a familiar story. But let's also read, before we get into it, 2 Corinthians 2, 15 to 16. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So, um, I, I felt the Lord, we had, It's been wonderful as a team to think of so many encounters of people with Jesus. But this one, this one that's been, I've come back to again and again over the last couple of years and reread. And, you know, sometimes there are passages of scripture you just think, oh, my goodness, there's just so much here. And this one has impacted me greatly. So it's a joy to share this with you. Um, Now, the stories, stories of Jesus being anointed with oil and perfume that happened four times in the Gospels. There's one in Luke 7, um, earlier on in Jesus' ministry. In John, Jesus is anointed with perfume by Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who Jesus has risen from the dead six days before Passover. And then in Matthew and Mark, there is an unnamed woman in the house of Simon the leper, and in, in Mark, and then in Matthew, there's this almost same story, but it says Simon the Pharisee. So one of the things that we might contend with initially is go, well, what's going on here? Um, some people like to say, oh, it shows you that the Bible's all made up. Um, but it's not. Jesus was anointed more than once. And I want to explain why that's important at the start here. By the way, Simon the leper was probably Simon the Pharisee, a Pharisee who got leprosy, who Jesus has healed, and now Jesus is having a meal in his house. And this is two days before Passover. The story in John is very different. It's, it's, it's Mary, it's, it's six days before Passover, and, and a different uh, group of people. And then there is the story of the woman with her tears and perfume, and that's in Luke 7, which is almost certainly a very different woman. It could be Mary Magdalene, we don't know. So might seem strange to us, because part of our brains, Western brains, want to rationalize this. Well, surely there was one, or there's been a mistake here. And and it might seem strange to us because of the perfume in the anointing, but it's not in their context. Um, Perfume was like having a bank account. Did you know that? There were no banks. So if you wanted to store money, you had to put it in something. And perfume was one of the most valuable things, and it was easy to store, easy to hide, easy to secure. So, This anointing, what we need to think more of, this is like stories of four women who turn up and take their life savings and give them away to Jesus. Jesus, I see you. I want to take everything that I have, take the most valuable thing. And the way most of us do things in the Western world is we have a bank account and we have assets that are worth something. So it shouldn't be strange that people in response to Jesus gave away everything to him. In response to who Jesus is. By the way, Bev and I, we were just at the Vineyard Leadership Gathering. First time, was, I think it was 26 of us from church here. We had an amazing time with our Vineyard family after a couple of years of not being able to meet. It was lovely to worship. It was lovely to pray for one another. It was lovely to share what God was doing in our lives. But there was a video from a couple um, who had, and it was their story, and they'd gone off and been missionaries. And I was so moved. When up on the screen pops a photo of like their rucksacks and four bags, and they gave away the whole of their lives to go and serve Jesus. Six bags, that's all they had left. I was like, people are still doing it today. They're still saying, Jesus, have everything, and anointing him. But let's look a bit more at perfume perfume here is 100% nard very very expensive um, perfume itself is expensive as you learn out learn takes a, a well took me a longer while to learn you have to be sensitive in these day and age some of you men might wear perfume but i generally don't but i remember why is that one expensive and that one not cuz one has more perfume in it than the other perfume's expensive what they do is they put lots of other stuff in it to dilute it Um, And uh, most perfume is 1% perfume, did you know that? 99% of what's in it is not the perfume. It's other things to get the perfume to you. And this is important, I want to mention this here because we're going to come to it at at the end. Um, Some of you might know, with perfumes they call them notes, the smell of a perfume. There's the high notes, the heart notes and the body notes. The alcohol and stuff in a perfume, the high notes, is what apparently when you first put on perfume, it's the first thing that hits your smell. It's the cheap bit, but the bit to go, that hits you. Because with a perfume, it takes three to four hours before what they call the heart notes. Isn't that a beautiful phrase itself? For the heart of the perfume, because it has to be on your skin, it has to interact with your oils and your body, and then eventually that's what gets released. If you didn't have the heart notes of a perfume, it wouldn't smell like you, you wouldn't, when someone first, you know when they put it on, even when I put aftershave on, you go like that and you get that, don't you? And then that disappears. But then the heart notes emerge. The body notes are the most complex part of the perfume. They're the richest part, the most, but they take Up to eight hours to emerge as a smell in combination with you. Fascinating. Going to come back to that. Now, this perfume, it says a year's wages in Scripture. It's very hard to get comparisons between New Testament time and today of the real expensive things. Some estimates are this would have been worth about £100,000, this perfume. But again, £100,000 in their terms then would have been your whole, you could have bought you a house and a whole life. There was not many other things to spend your money on. So really what this woman is doing, and she is probably the daughter of Simon the Pharisee, Simon the leper, who because of his leprosy, before Jesus healed him, is like, I'm going to be dying, and he has to leave because he's got leprosy, and this is her inheritance. This is what she has in order to get married and be economically stable and survive and live. That's what this represents to her. And that's what she pulls the lid off and pours over Jesus. Um, In worship, but this is her extravagant worship, isn't it? We see people in the story immediately go, what a waste. What a waste of perfume. Couldn't she just have put a little bit and done what most people do and poured it on Jesus wouldn't that have been enough I wonder what her father was thinking Simon the leper man that was all the money I gave you I think Simon the leper has had his own encounter with Jesus and is like yeah girl give it away (laughs) yes he's met Jesus like Father-like daughter. And, and you know what? What we value, I say this often, our spouses, our kids, our hobbies, our sports, our holidays. We pour out our lives to. If you total up, if you've got disposable income and all the things that you spend it on, in some ways it's an extra- extravagant waste, isn't it? Have any of you got friends who do like hobbies and sports and holidays and you think, what a waste of money? I wouldn't do that but we do that don't we because they're important to us we pour ourselves out we anoint literally what we love it's human nature and here is this amazing story of someone who gives everything there is no going back she can't put this perfume back in the bottle it's gone this asset's gone non-recoverable she has opened up her life to risk for her future by giving it away i mean can you imagine if she'd we don't know what happened can you imagine if she talked to some of her christian friends beforehand saying i just i'm gonna i'm gonna do it i'm gonna pour my perfume all over him and you can imagine some well-meaning christian friends would be like oh no just mix up a little bit that'll be enough jesus won't mind No, you've got to take care of yourself. This is your inheritance. Or did she speak to her father? And said, Dad, I've got this crazy idea. And her dad who loved Jesus is like, oh, awesome. Go for it, daughter. How will we survive? Who cares? He will take care of us. And brothers and sisters, there is a truth here about God's economy in creation and what he wants to restore to us. That in, it's in moments of lack that giving opens up life to us. Not conservation or preservation or less. What do I mean by that? i told this story before. My lovely daughter. When she was born and we were brassic. I mean, loads of student debt. Didn't have two pennies to rub together. I went to Mothercare. I hadn't costed up having a child. We just had a kid. I'm glad I hadn't costed it up, or I might never have had any. But go to Mothercare, drop 150 quid or wherever it was for a state of the art thing, put it on my credit card, and I'm like, how am I going to pay for this? And I remember walking back to the flat and looking at this little, little a little thing in there. Overwhelmed with love, thinking, and I'm praying and saying, Lord, my love and yours for her will make the way. What it meant was a lot of hard work. I had to pay for it. But love meant that there was no way my, my little girl was not going to be in a pram. Because I loved her. And it was such an enormous amount of money for us then. And it opened up something. I didn't go back to Bev and say, oh my goodness, I've seen the price of a pram. Can we put her back in you and keep her there for another year while I go out and get some more money? Yeah? Can we send her back? I've changed my mind. Love doesn't do that. Love just gives. And love opens up. I've told many stories about my wife. You know, dating as a student. I had no money. And then as soon as I got it, I gave it all away to the woman that I had fallen in love with. Because I didn't care, because she was worth every penny. And you know what? The best things in life take extravagant giving of ourselves, and they open up the best things in life. We know that. And it is the same with Jesus. And that is, there is, again, this moment in history is to recapture, not conserving ourselves, but discovering these stories. That to meet Jesus is to open up ourselves and give ourselves to him and in return for him to pivot us around and bring more into our lives than we could ever have imagined. Ever. Let's talk about worship. The pivot point here. So the best things in life take preparation. They're a beautiful waste. and Jesus is at this register for us to experience. Jesus is not someone to get someone else or something else. And I, I've written a little question here. Coming out of COVID, where are you and I at with Jesus? Do we, are we checking in with him when we want something? Or is he the something we want? Again, so many scriptures I haven't got time to read this morning. Jesus tells us, he goes, your heavenly father knows what you need. Seek first this kingdom I'm talking to you about and everything else. Jesus says, if you do that, I'm on board with bringing into your life everything you need. That's what Jesus is telling us. What an offer. The Lord of creation. Psalm 141, verse 2. This thing about perfume there's another thing that we can have for a smell incense may my prayers be like incense have any of you come across that bit in the bible and the whole purpose of the, the idea that our prayers would be incense our prayers not being something god help god give me god do something but our prayers just being an extravagant waste of our time that god looks at and says oh that's wonderful." That's wonderful. Song of Songs, chapter 4. And if you read Song of Songs, it's a strange book. It's a love story, quite erotic. Used to be used in the Jewish context for young couples to be prepared for what happens between a man and a woman when they get married. But it's also about God's spiritual relationship to his church and his people. And it's quite an uncomfortable book because from beginning to end, it is about sheer intimacy and love and affection and connection. And in chapter four, let's read this. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Now, we understand from the Old Testament and from the New Testament uh, onwards that here the bride, in Song of Songs many times, is about Jesus talking about his church. Christians, your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits with henna and nard, nard and saffron Calamus and cinnamon, with every kind of incense trees, with myrrh and aloes and all the finest spices. You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. This beautiful passage that says we're the bride, but describes God's relationship with us, Jesus' relationship with us like a garden. This is really important, this imagery here, to understand what our lives are like before God as to be a garden. And in it are these trees and perfume and fragrances. And then if we keep reading verse 16, awake north wind and south, blow on my garden. And here you've got God saying, these people that I love that are like a fragrance to me, Holy Spirit, come and blow on them so that what they smell of goes everywhere so that everyone can smell it. Stunning picture here. But something about gardens. Have you noticed? Has anyone here got a garden? Have any of you noticed that thorns and weeds do not need any attention to grow? Have you noticed? They just rock up. They're like, hey, there's a space. I'm here. They don't need rain. They don't need sunshine. They don't need you to do anything to encourage them. Nobody went out in their garden and said, there's not enough weeds in my garden. I need to plant some. They just emerge. But flowers. And all these wonderful things here need to be tended They take time. They have to be planted in the right place and looked after and cultivated. Do we have any keen gardeners? If you have a beautiful garden, it's a lot of effort, isn't it? Weeds are not. Our own souls and the care of what it means to be means we need to be looked after by the gardener. If you know John 20, I think that might be up on the screen here, verses 15 to 16. In John 20, we have uh, Mary, who has gone down to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has risen and they don't know who he is. And Jesus is mistaken for the gardener. Woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. Commentators think actually she doesn't just mistake him for a gardener. Actually, Jesus looks like a gardener. And who was the first gardener in the Bible? Adam in the Garden of Eden. Human beings were meant to be in the garden, tending it, cultivating it, working for God's work in the world and his presence. And Jesus rises from the dead and he appears as a gardener. This powerful imagery about our souls and the core of who we are. And lastly, just to talk about this is to mention in Matthew 13, I won't read them, but do you remember that Jesus has the parable of the sower and the parable of the weeds? Jesus talks about this himself. And he basically says, have you noticed, because if you haven't, you will, what happens in your friends' lives and your life is that I start to work in people's lives, but then weeds just grow and choke everything. Jesus says, actually, the enemy sows them. Satan goes around. You want to know where the weeds come from in your life? He goes around and he sprinkles weeds everywhere. And Jesus talks about how the things, the weeds and the thorns of life come along And they choke and kill what Jesus has been trying to tend in our lives. So what's growing in your life? And is Jesus tending it? Being poured out. I talked about how we often tend to conserve, don't we? Hold back thinking that, you know, that will somehow release things in our life. Think about your life. or well, sometimes it's easier to think of friends. I, I could name you, after 25 years of being a pastor, an enormous number of people who were Christians who said, Do you know what? I just need to take a break from Sundays, small group, serving, anything, because I'm, I'm, life is overwhelming me. And I could put them up here on the screen and say, and they're not even Christians anymore. Think about last week's talk. And by the way, I'm not talking about the triteness of just being on a rotor. I'm talking about what happens, the lie of the weeds in life and the entropy of life that says, if I just cut this out, suddenly I'll be freed up to have a pivot in my life. There is no pivot by cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting. All that happens is we open the door to more and more entropy and disintegration into our lives. Doesn't work. The only thing that we know that causes us to pivot is to find something bigger than what's taking life away from us and to invest in it. And it brings us alive. A kid. Suddenly, full of life. And the Lord of creation invites us to follow him and be poured out with him. Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. I think that's going to be up here on the screen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Again, another passage here about, another way to read this, about energy and life and transformation. And Paul says, don't do what everybody else does or you'll get what everybody else gets. Do what these people who met Jesus did. Then you'll get what they got. You know, last night I was with a few friends and we were sitting around a fire pit and drinking some whiskey. And we started telling stories about what God was doing in our lives. Before that, I was—I've been so tired. I've had a long week, and I was like, "Oh, I'd really rather watch Picard on Amazon Prime." I had one of those moments, and Bev helped me set up the chairs and candles and the fire. And but for you guys who were there, I'd never told you that. I'm so glad I didn't bail. I'm so glad that we drank whiskey and talked about what Jesus was doing. Because by the time I went to bed, and Bev said, "How was it?" I went. Oh, that was like the best that life ever gets. I went from exhausted to exhilarated. I went from enervated to I just want to go and pray for someone. I want to do something for Jesus. Let's finish with aroma. Do you remember the top notes, the heart notes, and the bass notes? Here's a question, how much of your Christian experience is just top notes? A one-off 15-minute, oh, that was exciting, and then it goes. Because we don't let the perfume stay in contact with us and for the real smell to emerge. What about the heart notes? They take three to four hours. The base notes, five to eight hours. When Jesus is anointed, again, we can't recreate this. I'd love to recreate this, but I haven't got £100,000 worth of nard to pour on someone. But it would be an interesting experiment. But looking online, what it means is that when this woman pours the perfume on Jesus, there would have been no top notes, no alcohol, no immediate rush of a smell of perfume at all. None of that there. In fact, probably wouldn't have smelt very much at all because the smell of the perfume needed to stay in contact with Jesus' skin long enough for it to emerge. It would be strange, wouldn't it? Perfume that doesn't smell like perfume. And this perfume was on Jesus. Jesus was a real person, his body. We, we know from the parallel stories in Matthew um, that it's not just on his head, but Jesus says his body and he's being anointed for burial. A, a very common thing to do in the ancient Near East was to take pure perfume, the most expensive, and put it on the body of people. One, because as the body started to decay and people would visit the body for a while, the perfume would emerge as the body was decaying and it would cover the smell of decay people knew how perfume worked so Jesus is covered from head to toe I was trying to think of an analogy for this have any of you ever chopped up garlic and then gone you know your fingers the garlic oil and it stays in your skin for a long time doesn't it unless you do something to get rid of it perfume like this in this intensity on your skin if left would stay with you for weeks And you would stink of it. Stay with me here. Jesus has been anointed two days before going to Passover. We know in the Passover story that Jesus' feet were not washed. Do you know in that story? What happened to the other people's feet in the story? Who washed them? His feet were never washed. Jesus is there two days later completely covered in this nard, this perfume couldn't wash it off and some commentators say that what is likely to have happened that when Christ was on the cross and all the fluids that were coming out of his body would have activated that perfume and one of the last senses when you're dying to go are your smell and Christ would have smelt This anointing oil on him to the very end. But the most amazing thing, when you now read that passage in 2 Corinthians that says, We are the aroma of Christ, we are his perfume. He wants to carry us into life and eternity, his signature scent. Let's have the worship team back. Let's stand. Let's all stand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. Jesus thank you that you are here thank you that you are so glorious and beautiful and thank you for this story remembered for all time this woman who poured out her life for you and Lord may we now as we worship pour ourselves out and return ourselves to you